Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness! Here's the high-stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. To crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC. Hey folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. Big show's coming up. We have a risk show at the Nerd Melt Theater in Los Angeles on March 22nd, 2012 at 8 p.m. We have Rachel Feinstein of Last Comic Standing and Comedy Central Presents. The following Thursday, March 29th, 2012, in New York, we have Janine Garofalo at our show at The Pit. On April 14th and 15th, we are at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland, Oregon. And on April 28th, we're at the Linda Theater in Albany, New York. You can always learn more about what's happening with our live shows at risk-show.com tour. Second, I... Kevin Allison, am looking for a personal intern, someone to be in contact with me each week about seeking new stories for the podcast. Someone who can devote about five to six hours per week at least. Write to Kevin at risk-show.com with the subject line, Intern for Kevin. And folks, we are going through a tremendous period of expansion right now at thestorystudio.org. We did a workshop for over 300 people at South by Southwest this week, and the response was overwhelming. So we're hiring three new faculty members. David Crabb is teaching workshops that focus on the performance of stories, breathwork, body language, use of the voice, characterizations. Michelle Walson is teaching workshops on layering subplots and subtext into your stories. And Chris Castiglione is teaching workshops that focus on storytelling in your career for interviews, presentations, team building, and marketing products and services. We do one-on-one coaching online over Skype as well. Anyone can reap the rewards of this, the most universally loved skill of all. Storytelling is the most moving, the most motivating the most masterful way to get through to people. So go to thestorystudio.org now and be heard. Now here's the show. 
kids, this is Extra Risk, where we bring you just a little bit more of the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Psychic Chasms behind me now. And today on Extra Risk, we are bringing back Mr. Al Madrigal. Such a sharp guy, such a pleasure to work with. Al is a correspondent for The Daily Show on Comedy Central, and he thought that he would tell a story this time around, or maybe confession is a better word for it. He admits that he was once employed doing something that most people do not find very admirable, not the noblest of professions. So here is Al Madrigal at the Risk Live show in New York City. We call this one The Fixer. Um, I got this, should I, uh, who cares? Um, I got this call, what, I think early, it was maybe two days ago, and then I got a, a message from Kevin uh, yesterday, uh, and said, oh, it's betrayal, uh, I quickly go, fuck, I, um, let, I called him, Daddy called up and said, I've led this life of appeasement. Uh, I have been so nice to every single person that I've ever fucking encountered. I haven't betrayed anyone. I haven't been betrayed because I'm so fucking nice. Uh, and so, uh, and, so, and then I hung up. And then almost immediately I go, oh my God, I killed a guy. Uh, I, I really did fucking kill a guy. And that was, I'll tell you that story real quick, just it's no big deal. Um, I <laughs> killed a guy, I was in college, and I was, it was a summer, I stayed at college, I went to this, hor- I made a horrible college choice. Um, I went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, California, which is an engineering school. Really did, I went to a, a, a Catholic all-boys high school, filled out bubbles, well everyone was just really, planning their college out and going visiting colleges on the East Coast. I just checked a couple boxes on it. We all got marched into an auditorium to fill out Cal State applications. And I heard my cousin mention that Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo was a good, it was a, like a fun, nice place where she wanted to go. So I just checked that. And I got in and uh, I just went there. That, um, uh, that's it. It was a horrible situation. It was five guys to one girl. And it was, uh, you know, I showed up uh, growing up and born and raised in San Francisco, wearing like all black, smoking a cigarette. And uh, it was just, it was cowboys in the first non-smoking city uh, in the United States. And it was just a horrible, horrible choice for me. So I stayed there one summer smoking pot. I was uh, doing odd jobs for people. I was supposed to be mowing lawns uh, for old ladies. Old ladies would have me come and they're like, take your shirt off. And, and I was like, mow some lawns. And uh, these old ladies. And uh, I knew what they wanted. Uh, but I, I just tease them with it and mow those fucking lawns. And so um, I used to invite friends over. I swear to God. Uh, and uh, they, the old ladies would watch me fucking mow a lawn without my shirt on. So uh, I didn't show up. I was smoking pot and I was playing RBI baseball. 
and just by myself. And the old lady called and said, can you mow our lawn? I could, no, I can't do it. I'm very busy today. <laughs> just knowing that I just wanted to sit there and smoke pot and play RBI baseball on Nintendo. And uh, her husband mowed the lawn and he died that day. Um, uh, that day, Roger, her, the husband, mowed the lawn and fucking died of a heart attack. He had, he had previous heart attacks. He had no business mowing the fucking lawn. I didn't feel that bad about it. But I showed up at the wake at their house and she announced me. I knocked on the door and I was like, oh, how you doing? I dressed up and I wore a tie and everything. And everybody in the entire wake looked at me like, that's the fucking guy who just could have mowed the lawn. And then she's like, this is the guy that uh, should have mowed the fucking lawn and he would be alive. My husband. Uh, but he had had six heart attacks. Like, fuck. So anyway, that's not really betrayal. That's just me being lazy and irresponsible. <laughs> and so, and then I said, and then immediately afterwards, I think, oh my god, this is major. Uh, I definitely have betrayed people. So, um, I used to fire people. Uh, if any, for ten years, I did this. Um, if anybody saw the movie Up in the Air with George Clooney, um, I was that guy. Uh, I fired over a thousand people. Um, it was through a parent's family business that we had. Basically, um, I just, my mom bought this. My mom used to, we were lower middle class, grew up in San Francisco's inner sunset district. My dad was a teamster, probably making about twenty-five, thirty $30,000 a year. Uh, just a warehouse foreman. My mom used to clean houses. My mom in 1980 started working at this company where she was a secretary, maybe $6 an hour. Worked her way up to account manager. Over a period of time, the company changed hands. She stayed there, uh, senior account manager. And you know, this company about five people is a staffing company. Um, she, I think when I was in high school at some point, got an opportunity to buy the company for $150,000 because it was worthless to anybody else. But she had been there this whole time. People told her not to buy it. She bought it. She turned it into a multi-million dollar company with, um, uh, from $6 an hour cleaning houses, nothing, to um, this incredible success story where we had 3,000 employees uh, leased out, which is a big deal. Um, and it just did everything for our family. You don't understand. I had a sports coat that was from Goodwill, I remember, at some point. We went to dancing school. And uh, I remember like feeling self-conscious. Everybody had blue blazers, from, you know, Brooks Brothers style, you know, gold button blue blazers. And I had this brown velvet fucking sports coat with big lapels, you know, walking up. Uh, like some Goodwill sports coat. And uh, I just say, so it ch changed everything for our family. It was amazing. So I went to college, uh, transferred from Cal Poly to University of San Francisco, finished from there, everything went great, and ma majored in business with an emphasis in personnel going into the family business. That changed everybody's life. So it was a natural fucking course. Now, the family business, it was br what, basically what we did. And you think staffing, it was just full-time staffing. So... It's not like a temp agency. We employ people to be at your company, uh, everyone there. If you have a problem, I take care of it. So I, I basically was this corporate fixer. Uh, like Winston Wolf in the movie Pulp Fiction, you know, he shows up, you get a dead black guy in the back of your fucking car, uh, make a pot of coffee, let's just fucking deal with it. Um, <laughs> I would do that for any situation. I mean, so at 19 years old, I was working at, US, uh, at USF, working at the family business part-time, 
fired my first person. I remember her name. Her name was Victoria. Little sort of dopey Mexican file clerk chick that was in the back. And um, it's okay, I'm Mexican. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> she's a dopey little Mexican girl uh, who wore her flannel shirt over her hands. And she was our file clerk. And she screwed up. And my mom said, this is going to be your first one. I think she had just come back from counseling a woman about her vaginal odor. Because uh, I had to do shit like that. It was a brutal fucking job. Um, it was just every problem that you can imagine happening in a business, I would handle it. We would handle it for you. So we take care of the payroll. We take care of the problems. We just make sure everything ran smoothly. So um, she goes, she just can't, you got to start doing this. I can't take it anymore. Um, you know, I was the exit strategy. I'm the eldest son in this family business. So fired my first person. Walked in there. I was so nervous before doing it. And... Realized this is not so fucking hard. Uh, she just took it, and I felt nothing. Uh, I really did feel nothing. I was just cool. I did a thousand of these. Um, I was really fucking good at it. Uh, I've gotten. I've been in. I mean, a thousand terminations. You just imagine, imagine some of the situations that I was in. I. Um, was just hardened by the whole thing. I mean, at 22 years old, I remember firing. I learned so much right away. I had my spiel down. Um, and it, this is good for everybody. If you ever need to let anybody go or if you want to break up with anybody, all you have to do is use these words. It has been decided that today is going to be your last day. Hi, my name is Al Madrigal. We're meeting under unfortunate circumstances. It has been decided that today is going to be your last day. I have a final check. I understand you have a ficus tree and a credit card. Uh, I'm going to help you carry that ficus tree to your car. Uh, all right, you're going to say goodbye to all your friends. Probably best if you do that on your own time. We're just going to walk out quietly right now. If you saw me at 4:30 on a Friday, you were fucked. Uh, I, was, people would run from me. It was just fucking brutal. I. At 22, I learned so much uh, about that. There's uh, block the door. Nobody ever tells you to do that. Um, you want to stand in the doorway so they just don't go bolting out. I fired a Russian nurse when I was 22 uh, who had been giving kids the wrong shots. Um, so she, everyone deserved it, by the way. Uh, fucking look at me like I'm the asshole. Um, for the most part, I'd say 90% of them really had it fucking coming. I warned them a couple times because I did all the progressive discipline. We made sure it was all done perfectly. There's a, a verbal warning, a written warning, and then you got fucking canned. Uh, I, that's how it worked. And so you got plenty of chances to fix it. I even gave people more chances than that. And when people wanted to call and fire somebody unjustly, I would talk them through that and say, no, you need to give them the proper warning. So I fired a Russian nurse that was giving kids the wrong shots. Uh, she worked in an allergist office in Palo Alto, California. And so um, I went in there, and I sat across the desk from her, and I had the evidence. I had everything highlighted, and I said, hi. My name is Al Madrigal. Uh, we're meeting under unfortunate circumstances because it's been determined that today is going to be your last day. I have all the information here in front of me. Uh, you've been giving incorrect shots to people. To, to everything's highlighted. We can't have this. People's you know, patients' uh, lives are at risk here. And we have a responsibility to them. And so here's your final check. She grabs the file uh, and starts in this tug of war. And meanwhile, in my head, I'm going, oh, shit. Uh, nobody told me about this. Uh, and um, I wasn't standing in the fucking doorway. 
Uh, so she grabbed the file and took off, running down the hallway. I went running after her. She ran into a patient room, grabbed the phone and said, uh, called her husband, who's a lawyer, and said, Andrew, there is a man here telling me lies, and he says that I am going to be fired, and I didn't tell you this before, Andrew, but I am pregnant, and I'm going to lose the baby. I feel so stressful, Andrew. I feel so stressful. And I'm, I'm going, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Uh, and I got on the phone with him. I said, give me that. Like that, I go, Andrew, this is Al Madrigal. Uh, <laughs> we're, uh, Meeting under unfortunate circumstances. And, uh, um, I assure you, I have everything, all the documentation in place. I'm going to make sure I stay with your wife until she is comfortable enough with driving herself home where you can arrange to have her picked up. If you want to talk about this, you know, I just made up some shit. And uh, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And then hung up and waited with the lady until she fucking calmed down. And then I you know, called my mom. She's like, well, this fucking lady, she just took off. It was horrible. She goes, did you block the door? I thought I told you to block the fucking door. Uh, and so I uh, just had shit like that happen constantly. But eventually, after a bunch of those, I had seen it all. So I just turned into this fucking badass. Um, I just couldn't be stopped. I would sit in my car. I had a routine where I'd sit in my car. I'd play the exact same song every single time. Down for the Real, brand new being from the album Everything is Everything, released in 1994. It was featured in the movie Menace to Society right before they were about to rob a liquor store. Um, I, 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 I sent an MP3. If you could just play it now. This is me in like Fremont, California in a like office complex park parking lot and uh, sitting in my car smoking a parliament light uh, this song in 1995 uh, if you could play that please Put out the parliament light, fucking briefcase, documentation, walk in and fire a medical secretary that had came up short on her bank too many times. Um, so it, it was just brutal. I mean, I did a thousand of these and it just got crazy. I mean, again, I was so good at it that I was taking all the heat. Uh, again, eldest son, anything. I was welcoming, uh, welcoming anything that would come up because it wasn't just terminating people. It was, I got a call once, Al, we got a real problem down here. You got to come and help us. And it was, um, we had a big assembly plant with everybody's familiar with the Hmongs, uh, who the people without a land, uh, <laughs> the Vietnamese, if you saw Gran Torino. Uh, we, um, 
would hire them to work in an assembly plant. They had never seen toilets before. They were climbing on top of the toilet seat. Shit was everywhere. Uh, but again, I couldn't be phased. I would walk in and I'd go, here's what we're gonna do. Like, uh, and I appointed a bathroom monitor and everyone signed in, signed out, checked them afterwards, taught everybody how to take a shit properly. And it never happened again. Uh, it was amazing, like I just couldn't be stopped. And so, um, I had uh, people threaten me. Um, I had a group of black medical assistants in Oakland, California um, push me. Three huge black women that, it looked like the female version of the fat boys from Disorderlies, uh, fucking pushed me up against the wall and, because uh, I fired their girlfriend. And I just stood there like this and I was thinking I hadn't had any action in a while. And so I welcomed it and I smiled a little bit like, oh, this is fantastic. Finally some action. And uh, they're like, you laughing motherfucker. Oh, you just, and so I just like, ladies, calm down. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, I, you guys still have your job. Uh, this is a business. And so, but just with somebody's, I actually had a guy named Dr. Twan. Um, he wasn't a real doctor. He was misrepresenting himself as a physician. He was a physical therapist. And he was seeing patients on the weekend in um, this ortho office. And so he would um, see patients as a doctor. So I came in on the weekend, snuck in, found him trying to practice medicine, <laughs> and I had his final check. And um, he had, in the physical therapy, he had sawed off one of those physical therapy sticks like that. He was a buff. Dude, and he picked me up and put me up against the wall and put one of those sticks to my throat. And I go, Tuan, this is gonna, ha this is gonna go down one of two ways. Uh, I, I swear to God, just no reaction whatsoever. Just nothing like that. Um, I go, you're gonna either hit me with the stick and I'm gonna call the pol police and press charges or you're gonna take this final paycheck right now and just walk away. And uh, I go, which one is it gonna be? Uh, and uh, I just walked away, uh, and it was fantastic. I come, like, and just real quick, just background. Um, I am the nicest guy, but I come from the hardest people you can possibly imagine. I'm half Mexican, half Sicilian. My dad is five foot six. Somebody I remember when he was courting my mom told me a story when they called him a spick. He used to work down at the wharf in San Francisco um, as a ship chandler in this warehouse, and uh, the story is that he marched next door to this warehouse, jumped up like fucking Mighty Mouse, um, grabbed a guy who's six foot four by the hair, dragged him out in the street by his hair and smashed his head into the sidewalk until people had to pull him off. Um, and uh, on the other side is Sicilian. I, I was just at, this is my last Thanksgiving, a quick story from what I've made up, uh, is the Tarantino family. So um, Bobby, Skippy, uh, my mom is Judy, and uh, we were sitting at Thanksgiving this year, and my Uncle Skippy goes, hey, Judy, remember when Bobby threw the turkey in the drapes? Uh, and I go, what? Uh, what happened? And apparently my Uncle Bob Tarantino got home from the service, and the turkey was dry, and he picked up the whole fucking turkey, and he threw it in the fucking drapes, and then he took the cranberry sauce that was like my mom had worked all afternoon on and threw that in the fucking drapes. Uh, so I have fucking, you gonna call on me a spick and throw the turkey in the drapes fucking inside me uh, to the point where I'm just like fucking badass <laughs> that I didn't even know it. I was just so fucking nice. Um, but I will fucking kill you 
Uh, if I just, I don't think I'd feel anything if I had to shoot somebody. Uh, I really don't. I, I really think I could be a killer. Like I have that inside. I, mean, I think about it all the time. Like if anyone harmed my family, I'd just kill somebody without thinking about it in a second. Uh, so, because I fired so many people, but then it started to really get to me. Uh, and I remember playing. I had to fire a single mom without any uh, daycare. I'd warned her so many times, and uh, it was just actually I pulled over in my car and I was crying. After that, it was just it started to really wear on me. After I was firing a bunch of people that just didn't deserve it, uh, and. You know, I tried to fucking help them out. So I would do outplacement stuff for a lot of people. And um, I just realized after a while, 10 years, that it just started to get, like, it was the same old shit over and over and over again because it was just dealing with other people's stress and other people's problems. But as soon as, you know, there, there were some unique situations and I really thought I was good at it, but it just got fucking just same thing over and over and over again. Same type of client, same type of problem. And I wanted out. So um, no one else could have taken over this business. I was the guy. Uh, so I started taking stained glass classes. <laughs> I was, uh, I really did. Uh, in Noe Valley, uh, Cradle of the Sun. Uh, and uh, then I volunteered for the Big Brothers and Big Sisters. And, um, and people had always told me I should do stand-up comedy. So I was actually sneaking doing stand-up comedy. There were two stand-up comics on my block in San Francisco. I grew up five blocks away from Margaret Cho, something was in the water. And um, just always had been told, you gotta do this. So I did it. It took off. I did it behind my parents' back. Uh, they would call me after a while, like, where are you right now? We're looking for you. I'm driving to Sacramento. Like, yeah, what are you doing driving to Sacramento? I'm doing stand-up comedy. They're like, what? Uh, <laughs> Why are you going to San Are they paying you? Yeah, I'm making 25 bucks. What are, you, what are you doing? I'm opening at the Sacramento Punchline. Who are you working with? Louis C.K. Uh, who the fuck is that? Uh, just no clue. And, and that, at that point, Louis, I mean, he was, uh, what, there was 38 people on a Sunday. I remember that. So there was, so um, just driving around, going to L.A. to audition for my own show. Uh, where are you going right now? Just calling up. Well, uh, well, I'm going to Los Angeles. Uh, I'm going to uh, audition for the HBO Aspen Comedy Festival. Then tonight, I got a set with Janine Garofalo at the Mint. Who? Uh, just nothing. And then I uh, got this thing with UPN. He knew no one, so it was impossible to like impress them with, like, I'm going to do this. It's really exciting. Uh, so I did auditioning for this UPN show. He goes, what? And I go, UPN, it's a, it's a network. And then I go, and then I'm auditioning for a meeting the guy from Curb Your Enthusiasm. And then just still nothing. And I go, it's after The Sopranos. Uh, and he goes, you're going to be on The Sopranos? I go, no, I'm not going to be on The Sopranos. And so eventually, then after I got a couple gigs here and there, um, they got it. And then I got another gig, and I just, I quit. Um, and... Uh, they, I think about it all the time because I was supposed to take this whole thing over that meant so much to us. And my mom, I don't even ask how she's doing anymore because I know she's still, and she says it all the time when I do make the mistake of asking. She, I go, well, how's it going? How's everything with the business? She goes, yeah, same old shit. Fucking same old shit. <laughs> Driving a fucking Fremont to fire a fucking medical secretary who's short on her drawer. Uh, and that's it. All right, thank you very much, everybody.
It was over before it began I said who is there Who can tell me I'm not my own man I guess it was true Even though I do all that I can Can't change or can you It was being wrong That's all for this week, folks. This is In Retrospect by Battleships behind me now. Don't forget that Risk is a completely indie podcast, and we're creating a startup here, a business, so we need all the help we can get right now from our fans. Just go to risk-show.com, scroll down the front page, and on the right side there, you'll see a little image of a man filling a gas tank on a car. It says, keep Risk running. That's where you can send a few bucks our way. Anyone can help us out. And don't miss out on our all-star episodes in our shop at risk-show.com. Be sure and follow us and get your friends to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Risk Show. Leaving a comment about us on our iTunes page helps us out a great deal, too. And you might want to write to your favorite magazines and newspapers and tell them to review Risk. Uh, you could tweet to Rolling Stone at Rolling Stone or to Entertainment Weekly at EW, or you could email them at EW underscore letters at EW.com and RS editors at RollingStone.com. Use the hashtag ReviewRisk and learn more about our various kinds of storytelling training at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. can help us out.